Good evening and welcome to Screen Tone Club, episode 44. We are recording this on the 9th of February 2020 for release on the 18th of February 2020. We've managed to get ahead of ourselves, which, you know, is quite nice for having a buffer and all that malarkey. This is your fortnightly look at manga with a focus on drink discussion. My name is Elliot Page and I'm joined as always by my lovely co-host, Mr. Andy Hanley. How are you doing, Andy? Yes, I'm doing very well. Uh, you know, surviving the the storms, which will feel like a really dated reference by the time we we publish this podcast. But it's real windy right now. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I woke up this morning at five a.m. due to um, wind lashing against my windows, which was actually quite pleasant. It was like one of those like noise apps on your phone, but for real. Um, but then I couldn't get to sit to sleep, so I woke up and made myself pancakes. So. <laughs> And yeah, that, that, that's, that's always a good solution to those things. It turned out it really was. Also, it's one of these things where you think, I'm an adult, I can do what I like, like <laughs> make pancakes at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> dear me. Not Well, you know, hey, whatever, judge me if you want. Um, but this is, your, as mentioned, your fortnightly look at manga. Um, we have, much like every podcast, we have a Patreon, which we hope you'll consider if you do like this show. Um, any support really helps keep us going. It helps pay for the oodles of manga we buy for this podcast. And also, we are quite close to our next um, stretch goal of then releasing two bonus episodes a month. We currently release one bonus episode a month, which you only get if you're a member of the Patreon. Um, you only have to sign up for $1, unlike every a patreon under the sun for a podcast which demands five dollars from you um so hey um cash in on our cheapskatedness i suppose uh, but you'll also get the previous year plus of bonus podcasts as well not just new ones also on the patreon bent is mr rob chessop um thank you very much um for supporting us as always so uh, moving on to the main part of the show we have returning champions, and I may cut this down because I kind of have spooled off in a wild direction. Um, do you mind if I take first stab, Andy? Um, yeah, go for it. I mean, weirdly, two of these I'm going to do right now are catch-ups for stuff that you've already um, ca- caught up on yourself. First would be Kaiju Girl Caramelize, um, which um, I've been told by a friend who does not read manga, but they were like, damn, that's a good title. And I'm like, hell yeah, it is. <laughs> Anyway, Kaiju Girl Caramelise, I think, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, Andy. I do that enough anyway. Um, but this was surprisingly affecting, honestly. Um, I think you mentioned the same um, when you read this review, this volume previously. Um, but as Kuro tries to become more comfortable with herself and with her hot crush, whose name I have forgotten, whoops, um, Pretty Boy McPretty Boy, uh, but they go on a date and that's the majority of this volume is the two of them trying to survive a rather fraught date and getting wires crossed and both of them thinking that they're a pain to the other one, very familiar feelings myself, and it gets really kind of fraught and like quite saddening at some points, mostly because it just seems so close to disaster. And there are so many things without, not just the like kaiju transformation thing, but um, but even just um, normal human crossed wires and everything else getting in the way of the pair. And of course, you know, Harugon, the giant kaiju form appearing again. And it it kind of hit me, honestly, like you have um, Kuro's best friend, who is the kaiju maniac girl, um, who makes a triumphant return in this volume. And her 
quote unquote dad question mark um uncle i don't know her fellow metalhead i suppose um but yeah a whole bunch of stuff happens in this volume and honestly more than anything i was just kind of shocked about how much it affected me and how bad i felt for the whole cast it's like man like i really care about these characters now this manga did a good job um I don't know. I think I got, I'm, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but was that, was that kind of matching your feelings, Andy? Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Like, you know, for a, for a series that is quite kind of lighthearted in certain ways and obviously like has a kind of comedy bent to it. Like, yeah, it really, it really hits hard. Like th- that second volume in particular, I think because you've kind of built up that sort of relationship with, with Kirillo kind of like watching her struggling with stuff. And it, it seems like, Hey, this, this could be it. She's finally got her break. Like, you know, she's getting a date with this boy that she's interested in. Like this, this should be great. Like this should be a, a fantastic kind of standout moment in her life thus far. And like, Oh, like that's, that's, that's adorable. And then just like watching it all kind of like fall apart and kind of feeling that the powerlessness when that kind of happens in that sort of situation, you know, because again, one thing this series does so well is to have the whole kind of kaiju transformation as kind of, you know, a, an allegory for sort of, you know, her, her puberty and her anxiety and all of these kind of like hormones and emotions that are, are raging within her and I, I think it's just the feeling that this is completely like as hard as she tries this is kind of beyond her control and like she can't really do anything about this it's just kind of heartbreaking like watching all of that pan out yeah and it does it does really it does really have an impact as a result of that yeah it's it, it's a, it's a lot um and it works really well um quite frankly um of course i'm now back in the position of jonesing for volume three which god <laughs> yeah. knows when that's coming out um but yeah this is as i say a surprisingly affecting story um also uh, more primo jumbo king um content your local <laughs> idiot dog uh i love that name i love that dog so dumb <laughs> And uh, so my second um, uh, returning champion is um, a rather belated entry. It's My Solo Exchange Diary Volume 2, um, which you talked about previously, Andy. And at the risk of being slightly glib, my summed up sort of response to this volume is a long drawn out oof, um, mostly because it's it's really intense. Like, it, I mean, uh, Nagatakabi has always been one to sublimate their art their struggles into their art and in particular this story but it also becomes really apparent that things are moving so fast and so horribly at multiple times in this volume that you know she will actually mention to herself like oh i think my art's gotten worse and you'll look at it and go yeah actually this has gotten pretty weird um and the whole thing kind of oscillates wildly and by the end of the volume i was kind of glad that you know the one of the final parts of the volume is the author apologizing and saying i'm sorry i have to end this um this is not helping and it's hurting a lot of people the first volume of this came out and oh dear um so it's kind of a fascinating and kind of like complete ringer of a volume honestly just because it feels like a lot of things just dumping down on the already somewhat um benighted uh character slash author so yeah a real a real heavy one this i mean you know volume one and my lesbian experience in loneliness were not light fare for sure but oh holy cow this is a this is a read i mean it's fascinating it's utterly fascinating and it continues to have the same sort of utter like seamlessness when it comes to explanations and visualization but it's a it's a much harder read to get through honestly 
um yeah. and it touches on like we now know that nagatakabi's next work is going to be like a greater expansion on one section of this story which is when she gets checked into a clinic for alcoholism and depression and like that was already really intense in this volume and having that broken out into a larger story already seems kind of exhausting um something like thinking about it is making me sweat honestly because it's like oh god i I hope I hope the author's okay. I mean, she posted a very nice tweet on her Twitter feed saying thank thank you to my overseas fans, which is lovely. Um but yeah, it's it's a it's a real doozy of a volume honestly, like somehow even more intense than the previous. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it's it's one of those things where you sort of you become and even more so knowing that, you know, it is autobiographical, like you you very much become invested in the author and their well-being and like again that that leap between volume one and volume two where it's like okay there's some bad stuff that's happened but you know there, there there's a light at the end of the tunnel here and then kind of watching that like kind of seemingly get blocked off is is really hard to to read like it's it's incredibly good and important like much like you know her, her previous volumes but yeah like you need to you need to steal yourself and be prepared to to read that one Totally. Um, at some point, even you feel like part of the problem um, at, at multiple points in that volume where you're thinking, man, if she didn't have to write this, like, you know, it's not just for me, but if, it, if she didn't have to write this for me, wouldn't everything be better? Like, and I think, you know, as mentioned, Cabby kind of comes to that realization herself um, towards the end and gives that as a reason for ending it, which, hey, that's good. Because, you know, it, even so, it's not a complete down. I mean, there's like, she meets up with a friend who gives her a hug and it's like, oh, this was the most important thing to me. And it's like, yep, that makes sense. Totally, totally get you. So yeah, woof. Um, still can't wait to see their next work. I hope they're okay. Holy shit. Um, please be safe next to Cabby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like very much interested to see what, uh, what comes next, especially given what you've just mentioned about the a kind of, you know, clinic for alcoholism, et cetera. Because again, you know, I, one thing that, that I've kind of said multiple times about her now is like, you know, she has a great ability to explain things that are not kind of, you know, my personal lived experiences in a way that helps me to understand them. And I think kind of addiction is... It's definitely another thing that, that could benefit greatly from kind of like her insight and her ability to explain things. Because again, it's, it's one of those things that has so much stigma around it of like, well, you know, this is your own fault. You know, why don't you just stop, et cetera, et cetera, all of that stuff. And hopefully like it'll be a really kind of instructive work if, if she really, really manages to kind of keep up her, her cadence of, of making this stuff kind of understandable and, and really kind of, you know, getting into the, the whole thing in, in a way that is is engaging yeah totally i mean in this volume um she talks about going into and leaving um a clinic the clinic itself and it's not a simple thing of go to clinic leave clinic it's it's a whole thing taking place over several chapters and several months of life and all of it you can kind of um forgive my use of the phrase but totally grok every stage of it of oh yeah of course this isn't going to be easy is it at any point and yeah you it's it's a lot to read through because as you say it works really well at imparting that to you not just telling you but like giving it unto you i suppose to be a bit up my a bit a bit highfalutin i suppose if but i think that kind of matches what you were saying andy so but yeah yeah, it's a it's a real gift um it's just that i wish that 
she didn't have to go through so much grief like holy cow <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean I, I think at this point we're all hoping that at some point it's gonna be like hey my next work is gonna be about like my my happy life and how great everything is because like she she absolutely deserves it at this point totally so um i'm gonna cut my last returning champion in the interest of time and also to save it up for next um episode but andy you have another returning champion on here do you want to take the lead yeah so having talked about volume one of it uh last episode I have read volumes two and three of If I Could Reach You, which is the the Yuri drama romance uh, series that I, I think we both kind of had like mixed feelings on in in some slightly different ways. Mm. Um, but but my main, main takeaway that I kind of mentioned at the time was that I was I was very much invested in the main character Uta, and I kind of wanted to see like where she was headed with her kind of unrequited and, and kind of impossible love. So uh, in the kind of week following recording that show, I just the, the the itchy trigger finger to hit the buy button just got too great and I ended up picking up the remaining two volumes and volumes two and three are both still kind of mixed bags I, I will say that right from the off um, on the positive sides there are a couple of major things actually one of which is that uh, the series actually starts to dig into some of the other characters and their kind of internality Hmm. Um, specifically, like volume two actually starts with kind of a, an inner monologue from, uh, from Karu, who is the, the girl who is married to Uta's brother and who hmm. Uta is in love with. Excellent. And yeah, and it's really interesting because all of volume one is kind of about Uta. You know, kind of feeling like, you know, the, the spare wheel in this relationship, in this family that has kind of, you know, been brought together. And she feels, you know, above, over and above almost her kind of like, you know, her, her romantic interest is just this feeling that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the nuisance here. Like it would be better if I wasn't around. And the interesting thing is that volume two kind of like switches the focus for a bit to Keru, who is having basically exactly the same dilemma. Like from, from her perspective, like she's muscled in on this brother and sister and in, and she's muscled in on this family. Um, and she feels really kind of uncomfortable with that. And she kind of feels like the, the interloper in this situation. Um, and these volumes do kind of hint a little bit more about, about Uta's kind of family, about her parents, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't really dig too deep into it, but it does kind of also reinforce kind of Caro's discomfort that she feels like she's still an outsider despite, you know, being kind of married to, to Ray, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's kind of an interesting perspective that. That continues through these these two volumes. Like Karu, we spend a lot more time with her and kind of inside her head, uh, which is is quite uh, quite interesting to see. Uh, perhaps the more interesting part actually is that uh, that Kilo gets uh, gets some decent time in in play as well. Awesome. Um, like I I kind of assumed that she was just going to be the shoulder to cry and kind of sidekick character that would just crop up to kind of you know admonish Uta for being an idiot over and over again. The emotional uh, punching actually... bag, as she mentions herself in the first volume. <laughs> exactly. Um, but she actually has her own thing going on and it's actually it's a really interesting kind of angle on on kind of romance and relationships that you know I won't go into and and spoil but it kind of it it surprised me because I don't think it's something that I've particularly seen in any kind of story like this before Uh, but like she has a very particular take on like what she wants from a relationship and there's there's a whole kind of like you know story arc around that throughout these these two volumes that it's just really interesting it's something kind of a bit fresh and unique 
Um, and it, it kind of, you know, gives some of the other characters something to, to think about as well. So all of that stuff is, is really good. Uh, the series continues to be incredibly good at its kind of inner monologues and, and at exploring the characters and their kind of internal feelings and what they're thinking about. Like Uta again has some, some fantastic moments where she kind of, you know, mulls over kind of where she's at and what she's tried to do versus what's actually happened and so on and so forth. There's some really great kind of well-written and and, uh, clearly sort of well-translated sort of... uh, thoughts and opinions about kind of like, you know, how how she's feeling and so on and so forth. And all of that is really strong. And I, I do really, I do really enjoy all of that stuff. And that's kind of, I think, what, what kept me coming back for, for these subsequent volumes, because that was the kind of stuff I really enjoyed. On the flip side of it, I, I think my biggest problem with these volumes is that I was kind of hoping that this series wouldn't feel like it would, it needed to it needed to to reach for the 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 low hanging fruit of kind of kitchen sink drama um and it does in these volumes like volume 2 basically goes for perhaps the most cliched bit of kind of melodrama it could possibly pull out to try and kind of change the dynamics between some of the characters and i mean it kind of works for what it is but like it's just a really disappointingly kind of you know, it's just playing the softball option when I'm sure there are plenty of more kind of interesting ways they could have written kind of a, a shift in a shift in some of these relationships. But instead, it just goes for the easy kind of nuclear option of just, you know, here's, here's an easy way to flip the table and just shake everybody up. And that's kind of it's kind of a bit disappointing. It then also kind of leads into some of the typical kind of like characters you know, not saying what they know or not saying what they're thinking or, or feeling just, just to kind of keep these things up in the air when actually, you know, they could be brought down in some shape or form if, if people were to actually just like verbalize what they're saying. Mm. Um, so, so that whole kind of point is, is kind of frustrating. But yeah, I don't know. Like I still, I still kind of broadly enjoy the series and the stuff that it does, it does really well. Like it's just, there are other elements to it that you kind of look at and just feel like I just wish it had a little bit more to it or or it just kind of, you know, put in a bit more effort really to, to try and kind of mark itself out from the crowd in, in ways where it just it just goes for the cliche option. So yeah, it almost sounds like um the series is doing well when it's not having to try and satisfy these like drama gods, but then it feels like it has to be a like a romance manga and then as you say pulls the nuclear option. Um so that sounds kind of annoying in a way of like, oh, you know, you were working quite well with an interesting payload of tension and drama and romantic sort of dilemmas and then you do something stupid because you feel like you have to and that upsets the apple cart because you were doing so much better at the other sort of stuff that's understated because it's difficult to do i don't know like almost like does that make sense or am i kind of gabbing there yeah yeah no i I think that's that's pretty much it like it's you can see why it's going for the options it is it just feels like it feels like for a series that is written with with a certain amount of kind of nuance and kind of you know some some broad perspectives above and beyond the usual kind of you know romantic drama fare like it it just always feels disappointing when it goes for the the obvious option uh, and you know when when that is such a, a major part of of these volumes in particular you know it's just it's just not that satisfying basically yeah i mean you had that character um the i forget her name but you had that secondary character in the first volume who was like 
known for her sexual exploits almost but it, it managed to handle her in a rather even-handed fashion and so like the ability it's kind of one of these bizarre things where it's able to handle that very well and then seems to lose confidence in itself and do something really base um yeah and, and on, on which note that character basically kind of vanishes uh, out of these two volumes like she she crops up at one point just to be like hey yeah it's me i'm still i'm still having a good time i'm still sleeping around and then that's basically it that's that's effectively their kind of their moment over these two volumes and again i, I hope that's a character that they're planning to go back to but it feels very much like somebody that got introduced and then kind of sidelined for other things at this point because they're just there as kind of like token girl who seems to be doing okay but still has her own thing going on yeah that's a massive shame honestly because it seemed that they all again this is me uh, maybe prescribing too much but it seems like the author accidentally hit like a rich vein of gold and was like oh no i can't like i have to step back from this because i've got the actual rest of the series to plan out uh i mean even with all of that being said, I am now curious and probably will pick this up just to see where it goes because at the very minimum, I'm interested in seeing Kaoru's side of it and the more wrinkles in this story, the better rather than just Uta no Daiboken anxious, you know, a go-go. <laughs> Um, yeah, because sure. because that would be far too boring but at the same time it's like you've already managed to carve yourself out a niche of being unique in this and then you decide to do you know generic drama stuff so we'll see i don't know i uh, uh it sounds like i'm already going to annoy myself but i i want to read the second the, these volumes now so welp um yeah yeah like for, for me there, there isn't enough good to it that you know when the fourth volume comes out i will doubtless be be picking it up and so you know i, I don't want to be kind of overly harsh on it because i, I think it, it does do a lot of good things but it is it, in a way that's also what hamstrings it when it does the more disappointing stuff because it just feels all the more out of place oh totally okay cool um so um with that out of the way we're going to move on to the main part of the show uh do you mind if i go ahead first andy no please do so my pick is a whole thing really so my pick was um hp lovecraft's at the mountains of madness volume one um which is a an adaptation of the hp lovecraft novella i think it's novella it's kind of longer than his normal stuff um the novella um at the mountains of madness which was written around 1930 towards the end of his kind of and peak of his career um where like hp lovecraft being one of the luminaries of kind of sci-fi and what's better known as cosmic horror um and kind of you know the whole cthulhu mythos and trailblaze that particular sort of element he was highly inspired by edgar Allan poe which if you go back to read edgar Allan poe seems extremely base because everyone has developed past him and kind of elaborated very much on what he kind of pioneered anyway i was deeply deeply into lovecraft when i was like 16 17 i read all of his stuff i like collected all the books i could i kind of read all of it and found it all deeply fascinating because hp lovecraft himself is a colossal racist and a complete prick but had some really interesting sort of ideas in his writing even the racist ones um I, I, I was about to give an example, but that would be, I don't want to say the words, frankly. Um, so as a quick s- sort of thing, I have previously read the novella this is based on and like know it kind of well enough. Like I still have it in my head. I've read it a few times. Um, Andy, have you ever read any of Lovecraft's stuff or are you otherwise au fait with the Lovecraft mythos overall? Uh, no, I've not read any of his stuff. So this is all kind of new to me. Okay. I am really fascinated to hear what you think then. Um, but so as I'm the drum driving, I'll give the quick intro. So 
so this is as as mentioned a two volume adaptation of at the mountains of madness um kind of at the peak of his power as mentioned the author is go tanabe um who previously did the horror manga kasane which i have volume one of and i kind of noped the hell out on because it kind of freaked me out um go tanabe has won an eisner for a previous lovecraft anthology which was the hound and other stories another utterly freaky story um they're currently going through and doing a lot of these very lavish presentations of lovecraft stories so i think they've hit a minor a little bit of a minor of precious metal uh it's been published by dark horse and it comes in two volumes um so this is like the first half and it comes in very lavish um physical or digital editions um it feels like a real labor of love this product because it has a lot of like external to the actual manga itself elements like it has an introduction to lovecraft and the mountains of madness it has some really lovely editing and presentation the editor on this is carl gustav horn who i hold in extremely high regard because he does a lot of really good work and it shows um which if anything kind of feels a bit weird at the start when it starts quoting edgar Allan poe and i'm like hey knock it off like get to the lovecraft bit um so it's complete at two volumes you can get both of them online or you can get them physically the physical size of it will be nice but basically um the story um covers uh, dr dyer who is a geologist who in 1930 is part of the miskatonic university which is a lovecraft staple um in arkham new england i believe um sort of boston area america and this is again very lovecraft sort of stuff and it draws on a lot of his previous elements which are dropped liberally around like sweets. But basically, they're flying in 1930 to the South Pole to chart it, take measurements, do some drilling, see what's out there, uh, just to kind of explore it, because it's still kind of an unknown continent. Um, technology has started to really advance, like they now have a portable um, gas-powered drill, they have lightweight um, our aircraft they can use to survey, and they have furs and other materials which will help them like weather the terrible um, conditions of the, Ar- of the Antarctic and so they um go down there on a rather weird looking ship and it's mostly the main characters in this are um dyer and one of his colleagues lake who is a biologist who is brought along and feels like the odd one out because everyone else is like an engineer or a bio- or a geologist or whatever but he's there for biology and he's like well who knows what we might find so basically this entire story is the rather long um expedition like notes of the expedition the first chapter the introductory chapter with a late title card which owns um is basically ground zero at lake's base camp after they go missing during the trip and dr dyer then filling in the background of what has happened to lead up to that point and basically the first volume ends slightly after the, the time points converge and the immediate arrest is resolved um the original novella it's worth noting was written past tense by dyer's point of view of him warning people away from the antarctic um and he kind of starts and they kind of slightly move that preface back in the timeline to have it be focused on lakes camp rather than dyer being safe and sound back in arkham and so it turns so basically what happens in a long story short is that they do some digging they find some geological strata that's pre-cambrian and it has biological materials in which should be impossible because that's before the evolution of life on earth what's going on lake gets kind of obsessed um to cut it quite short and he decides to mount an expedition towards these rather scary dark black peaked mountains um he even does a title drop about page 200 of the mountains of madness which had me clapping in the cafe because i love cheesy crap like that 
although I hate it. And basically, Lake gets in way too deep, and that's where the story kind of kind of goes from there. Of Lake getting himself in deep trouble, and then Dyer flying in to try and pick up the pieces. Um, so yeah, I really really love this series, this this presentation. Um, the visuals are astounding. Um, it has some real amazing two page spreads, which are absolutely absurd in detail. Um, it has, I mean, it's a horror manga. It's a, it's a co- cosmic sci-fi horror. And even the mundanity of, um, Antarctic is utterly terrifying in this volume. Like ice formations look malevolent and kind of disgusting and terrifying. Even like a lot of attempts are kind of precarious. The scientist team know they're in deep, they could be in very deep crap and they're trying to keep themselves as calm and collected and stiff up a lippy as possible. Um, one thing about Lovecraft in particular is one of the hallmarks of cosmic horror is that it never explains the the problem. It never it never describes the alien thing that is found, but kind of throws out some rather crazy terminology like cyclopean and stuff like that, and hopes your imagination can fill in the rest. So, Go Tanabe has a really intense remit for this, which is drawing and actually showing the undis- indescribable horror. Like it's it's said as being indescribable in the book. Like it doesn't the book does not explain the 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 anything weird but gotanabe does an amazing job of doing that of actually showing the uncanny horrible elements of this whether it's the mountains the scenery the shoggoths they find the the hidden city like all this stuff and it's really impressive to myself to me as well even as someone who knows exactly what's happening is like man like this drawing is intense um and the character's like themselves, Dyer in particular, and his lovely assistant and everyone else, like you can see that, you know, desperately trying to keep things together, um, while whatever the hell is going on is going on to them. Um, and it has an amazing pace to it of there are so many points in this manga that you want to scream at the page and just go, no, stop, like turn back. You can still live. Turn back. Turn back now. Just leave. You'll be fine. Just leave. And, you know, they pass through so many different points of no return that you kind of start to go slightly mad yourself reading it. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I love it dearly. I think it's an amazing presentation of the original novella. I think it looks gorgeous and really enjoyed my every minute with it. Honestly, it, it really, kind of brought back my like giddy childhood reading and discovery of this material um but that's my sort of admittedly slightly fanboyish take on it but andy as someone who hasn't read the original thing i would love to hear what you think yeah i mean i i really loved it as well um i mean i, I think that the first thing to say like the first thing that kind of jumped out at me is in terms of its presentation and visual style it didn't really feel like a manga like it, it doesn't it doesn't really hit any of the kind of typical things that you would maybe kind of you know have as, as, a, as a bullet point list of, of things that that makes something look like a manga like the character designs like say a lot of its artwork kind of feels like a step away from that like it feels like a far more kind of traditional graphic novel and like that's absolutely in, in no way kind of a criticism um but it is just kind of I think it actually really lends itself to, to the work as a result of that like it it, it could so easily have have kind of you know lent some more on on some of the kind of tent poles of maybe what you'd expect this kind of work to look like but it really doesn't at all like it it very much feels like its own thing yeah one thing i think it reminds me of is like old pulp pulp covers like it feels like an extremely high detail and high well budget you know sort of version of those old sort of like 30s or whatever story pulp cover stories like you know the actual sort of books that 
um, Lovecraft stories themselves were published in at the time and serialized, um, like with a lot with a lot of the sort of very intense paneling and such, and especially the characters staring directly into the panel right at you, the reader, which yo still unsettling. Yeah, I mean, actually, out of interest, did, did you read this in physical form or did you buy it digitally? I bought it digitally. Um, not okay. to tangent too much, but the two page spreads were presented as a single image, which really hogged up my tablet. So I had to do a bit of zooming in and out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if this is more a thing with, with my tablet, but I felt like this was a book that I kind of came away thinking like, man, I wish I actually had this in print on paper because honestly, like, it felt like, I was losing something, like reading a digitized version of it. Like whether it's just the the quality of the transfer, or just you know, uh, just the, the, the vagaries of of kind of you know digital platforms. Even above and beyond those two page spreads, there there were multiple points where it felt like I feel like this actually looks better than what I'm seeing, and it's. It's not very often that I feel that when I'm I'm reading something on on a tablet. I mean, the girl from the other side has that occasionally. I think, especially very dark scenes, maybe don't always come across very well on on digital platforms. But like this was definitely one where I kind of felt like I bet the physical version is actually a better reading experience in terms of its visual quality than this. Yeah, I can see that totally. I mean, I actually broke one of my personal rules or like predilections for this and actually read it using guided view in Comicsology, which I usually detest, frankly. I hate guided view, but it worked really well for this manga um, because it allowed me to actually get more of the single panels. But as I say, when it got to the two page spreads, my tablet could barely keep up. Um, But that, (laughs) I mean, it is 300 DPI, but even so it's a lot, there's a lot on the page and the books, the physical books themselves are a jumbo size. So you're getting your paper, your money's worth in paper. And I feel like the extra square inchage would, that's a bad way of phrasing it. The extra sort of actual page size would really do it justice. Um, um, so yeah, I can I can buy that honestly. I mean, um, the one thing for me is that the digital editions were seven pounds each. I bought the second one after I read this. Um, haven't read it yet, um, but it's a it's a question for me, especially of space. Like I've complained about it endlessly, but I just don't have space for physical manga anymore. Yeah, um, yeah, for, for sure. But no, totally. If um, you have the ability, I would recommend the physical because it the the artwork is ridiculous. Like I I I'm, was kind of blown away with it, especially like. Sorry, Andy, I'm, I'll, I'll seed the floor again. But even, you know, you know, s- s- facial shot number 600 of one of the characters looking perturbed, you think it'd get boring, but it manages to look fresh every time, which is somehow kind of an astounding feat, really. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of my kind of concerns, quote unquote, when I like picked this up was like the, the size of the volume in terms of page count. It's like, oh man, like I, I may not have kind of given myself enough time to read this, but like it is very much a page turner and like the, the, cadence of of the story is just like absolutely spot on like the way it builds its drama and its tension because like it's one of those things if you actually kind of pull it apart in terms of you know how much actually happens across the kind of 260 odd pages like there's not a massive amount of kind of big bullet point i mean i didn't actually make a lot of notes for this and this was partly because there there aren't many kind of really massive like oh these are important kind of inflection points in the story that that you know i'm gonna need to remember but what is there is is played out in such a kind of in just such such an interesting way and just with just the right kind of just the right pacing so that there's always a progression there's always a feeling that you know we're, we're moving on to something else and 
the way that kind of ramps up the tension and kind of did again mixed with the visuals the, the unsettling feeling that uh, and again well a bit like I'm, I'm torn on that i'll come back to with that but like the, the way it kind of ramps that up very slowly but deliberately is just like absolutely spot on like it, it just it, it never really misses a beat in terms of, of getting that pacing absolutely right yeah i feel like Again, speaking as someone who has read the original novella, but I feel like it really lays out the calm elements of the story as well as the supernatural, weird, cosmic horror elements. Like it makes it clear that, you know, there is a normality for these characters. It isn't just crazy shit constantly, ha ha ha. And they're all sensible people. They're all like leaders in their fields. So they're all quite grounded. Um, some magnificent facial hair on display. Um, but it, it, it really sells that they're there to do an actual thing, not just be characters in a story that's going to unfold to them. Like they're there to do some damn work and then everything goes quite wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that, that is one of the kind of the, the fascinating things that, about reading this is, I, I think it would be easy to sit there and say, like, I've seen this kind of story play out a thousand times before. And I think this is very much one of those cases where kind of this is actually sort of one of the, one of the stories that, that is probably why this, this kind of tale, you know, keeps cropping up in pop culture. Like, you know, you, and, you know, in media in general, like, you know, you, you think of something like the, the initial kind of alien films, you know, they, they very much have a, a very similar cadence of, you know, it's people going about uh, what should be some kind of ordinary business, something malevolent and unseen happens, and it slowly kind of unravels what is going on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, it's kind of, in 2020, this isn't a new, fresh story at all, and I think that kind of... Uh, that makes me all the more positive about the fact that this works so well because it would be so easy for this to just feel like outdated and like oh yeah i've seen so many better versions of this kind of story you know whether it's the x-files or whatever but i can't really think of many that do it quite as well as this like this is definitely in kind of the top tier of of this kind of of narrative and the way it unfolds yeah totally i think it really sells the the actual active parts of of the story like as i say like there are so many moments when you just want to yell at the cast and like demand they leave immediately because like they're soldiering on they're doing okay like they're not happy but they're on they're getting on with their job and it's like it's just leave like oh god like this is terrible um but as you say it's as you mentioned it is kind of one of these things where some of the reveals are quite mundane especially compared to where culture has kind of gone or stories have developed from the sto- this sort of archetype but it sells it it sells it really well through especially pacing and just the character work of just grounding these characters and frankly you know they're all quite boring ass dudes and because they're all dudes but they're up against something so unnatural that it really works to the, in that way yeah, yeah, for, for sure. I mean, the, the, the one thing that I kind of found myself kind of going back and forth on a little bit. Yeah, I, I want to hear what this is, honestly. I was wait, I was, I, yeah, I couldn't think of a way to mind you tell me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's kind of the, the way that it, it sets up so much of, of kind of like, that the, the, the bad thing has happened in its first chapter before then going back to the start. Like, there's there's part of me that actually really likes that and, and think that perhaps it adds something to kind of, you know, watching the rest of this volume play out. And there's also part of me that kind of wonders, like, would this be an even more kind of edge-of-your-seat compelling story if you didn't have that first chapter of, like, hey, look, people have gone missing, here's all this weird shit. Like, I, I find myself kind of vacillating on, like, was that the best way to start it? Or is that, like, would it actually have had even more 
power if it didn't have that. And I'm re- I'm genuinely not sure, but it's it's something that I've been kind of like tossing around in my head ever since I read it. Yeah, I have to admit, I this is probably more a sign of me being a big, being a big dum dum. But when that happened, I got really confused by because I got really confused and thought it was strictly linear rather than in Medias Res. So it was a case of oh, so they're back in Boston now. What's going on? And I didn't. I had to then go back and compare the timestamps because it has the whole like x date y year thing and i had to reread that and go wait did was was this an immediate rest thing oh it was shit um i think the first chapter could do the whole like we found lakes camp thing but i think they showed too much like some of the stuff it shows in the very first like prologue chapter is a little too much for my mind um because it shows you some of the core elements of the horror whereas even in the original story although it was written per like completely past tense and dyer was known to have survived the entire trip and was telling you about the trip like the intro was like oh i survived and here's why you should never go to the antarctic ever 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 um whereas in this you know you get you become you get face to face with some of the more disgusting elements i suppose of the horror although without context right at the start and it really blunts the impact later there's like that the the tent with the with the um there's there's a bit with a tent which i'm not going to mention because it's both gross and i don't want to make anyone like uh, i want that to leave that as a surprise but there is a there is a moment where it's like oh you didn't need to show that like because later on when it crops up again you're like oh yeah i saw this at the start so some of the stuff um re- rediscovering it a second time in actual time flow like the actual pace of the story makes it a bit blunted does that make sense mm. yeah yeah i think so it's like there's part of me that feels like knowing that that's how it, it ends just kind of adds to the the tension of you know it's kind of almost like a sort of a jump scare in a, in a weird sort of elongated way where you know something is coming and the tension of knowing that it's coming just like accentuates it but there is also very much that point of view of just like this would be really shocking if I didn't know what was going to happen. And then, you know, then it suddenly all kind of, you know, pans out before you. But uh, yeah, like I, I think I, I'm very much kind of, I, I can go either way on that. And I think there's probably a little bit of truth to, to both of those options. Yeah. I think it definitely helps with sort of, you know, cause initially I was kind of, a bit because uh, initially i was a bit put off by lake because i thought oh man he's the guy who gets in too deep yada yada but then as as it continues you're like oh no he's not just being a pillock or he's being you know he doesn't have the luxury of being mind controlled or anything he actually just gets in too deep and doesn't know when to stop um, yeah well I, I think actually he's also kind of interesting as a character because i mean again from sort of the the decades of similar stories being told kind of you know subsequent to this the, the usual cadence is that the guy that gets into all the trouble is gets ridiculously obsessive to the point where you know he's he's risking people's lives to the extreme whereas in this occasion like there's there's a certain amount of that but there is also a very clear kind of train of, of sort of, of humanity of like, okay, no, we need to stop and rest now. Like it's not, it's not an all consuming thing, but it's, it's enough to kind of, to, to drive things forward. And it's, I, I think it, it just gets that balance just right in a way that, that never takes it kind of OTT. Yeah. I came away from it mostly just feeling extremely bad for Gedney, his assistant, because man, that guy was doing his best and was also in for a penny, in for a pound with the whole thing. And man, we don't even know where he's gone now. Like God knows where he, that poor bastard is. Uh, but yeah, as, <laughs> as I say, like I, I, I vacillate as I oscillate as well on it as, and I think that, you know, showing that something will happen to Lake is fine, but showing that the camp, 
what happens to the camp in the first chapter feels a bit much. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it's a decision made on part of the adaptation and that's what it is an adaptation. So who knows? I'm not an author. <laughs> I'm not a manga yeah, author. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I can, I can absolutely see why that was the, the choice that was made. Like I say, I, th- I think that there is an element of that, that that works and probably helps it, but there's, there's definitely also a side that, that hinders it, but thankfully not, not too much. So like, you know, it, it is still a fantastic read. It is kind of visually very striking, and it is absolutely kind of a page turner. Which which actually leads me to ask: like, is volume two the rest of it, or yep. are, are there more volumes? Okay, yeah, it's two volumes. That's it. Um, and at this point, like, I think it's kind of I'm, I'm interested. I mean, if you do pick up volume two, I'd be really interested again to hear what you think because at this point, it's all unknown. Like, you won't get like a first chapter tease of what happens later. It's you know the rest of it is all unknown. Yeah, yeah, it's it's also kind of interesting because yeah, like it, it feels like there shouldn't be that much more for it to reveal, but I'm sure there is. So, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely on board if I can to uh, to read the rest of it. Yeah, but yeah, I I really love this. I was I was honest I was honestly a bit trepidatious about if that's a word. I I was worried about picking it um, because I thought, oh, you know, I am I holding the original novella in high esteem? Am I just going to be fanboy who's let down because I it bigged it up in my head? But yeah, just the the sheer. I mean, you can see why um, you know Go Tanabe won an Eisner for the. Uh, previous lovecraft work because it looks stonking amazing um yeah. but yeah the use of dark dark shade and colors and yeah it looks ridiculous also very bad doggos um <laughs> th- those dogs are terrifying holy shit like <laughs> goddamn um but yeah really fascinating loved it to death um well worth the price yeah. of admission as i say if you if you want to luxuriate fully into it maybe worth picking up the physical version just so you can have the like 250 ish page doorstop um, yeah yeah i mean it, it certainly felt like it lends itself well to that format but yeah like i'm, I'm definitely I'm, I'm somebody who tends to enjoy this specific kind of story like even as somebody who's not really like a horror guy in any shape or form like this is the kind of thing that i like and this this is a, a very good example of, of this done well yeah i think it really works well um i lovecraft nerd alert but i almost hope that they do an adaptation of the color out of space which is one of his medium like medium size novellas which i absolutely adore i love that story and it's also like vomit inducingly awful and tense so we'd love to see that in manga form so i can feel gross all over again like i did when <laughs> i read it the first time oh god that story Anyway, so that's H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. It's complete at two volumes. You can buy it physically or digitally. Have at. So moving on, another very fascinating series that, um, Andy, you picked, um, well, go ahead, please. Take it away. Uh, yes. So my pick for this show is uh, volume one of Heavenly Delusion, uh, which is uh, a, a series uh, written by uh, Masakazu Ishigulo, um, who uh, previously wrote uh, And Yet the Town Moves, a, a, an, an Elliot Page favourite. Um, one of my favourite manga of all time, not even joking, not, not, <laughs> not overdoing it, like seriously. <laughs> Yeah, um, who is an author who is, is kind of better known for, for sci-fi, I believe, over and above, uh, and yet the town moves. And, and this is kind of a, a return, I guess, to, to his, his more kind of traditional storytelling works. Uh, this is published by Denpa Books. So if you're in the UK in particular, it's only available on Kobo. Um, currently only volume one is available in English, which I mean, I'm tearing my hair out about as, as, as we speak, because I really need to read more of this. Uh, there are three volumes out in Japan, apparently. Um, and so, um, Heavenly Delusion starts out with, uh, with a group of kids who are clearly in this sort of futuristic kind of enclosed space that is sort of a, a weird sort of 
it's a weird sort of enclosure that is like seemingly part hospital, part school, part kind of like crash for these kind of teenagers, basically. Um, and uh, it kind of introduces these, these various characters. Um, and one of the, one of the characters in particular is, is, uh, a young man called Tokyo, who during a, a random kind of pop quiz set by their kind of robot teacher, it's a 10 question quiz, but he sees on his screen a question 11 that asks, do you want to go outside of what's outside? Which of course is kind of gets him thinking, cause that's kind of a weird thing to ask on a, on a quiz, especially when it disappears as soon as he kind of actually clocks it. Uh, and it does get him thinking, like, what is outside the walls of this place, which is seemingly the only place that he knows. Um, and it kind of as, as this, this volume goes on, it's kind of revealed that that these all of these kids seem to have various powers of, of various stripes. They they have some kind of like supernatural abilities um, of of various types. Um, and so with with that set up on one side of things, we then actually get to see what is outside, um, and that is. A post-apocalyptic wasteland, like Japan and seemingly the world has been laid to waste by something that is referred to later on as the fall in perhaps one of the most kind of cliched names for an apocalypse ever. Um, and, uh, basically ev- everything is a wasteland. Like it seems like the vast majority of humanity has died out. Um, it seems that anybody who did kind of die in whatever the immediate apocalypse was basically just starved to death in the, uh, in, in kind of everything that followed as just everything ground to a halt. Um, but we kind of join a, a journey through this, this post-apocalyptic wasteland with uh, a couple of characters. Uh, there is Mali and uh, a girl who he refers to as, as, as his sister, but actually turns out isn't called uh, Kiliko. And they're basically just kind of wandering around for the most part, just kind of trying to get by and survive, just kind of scavenging for food and so on and so forth. Um, but they are also searching for quite unquote heaven um basically Kiliko has kind of taken on looking after Mali as part of of some kind of uh, mission that effectively she accepted um to to search for for heaven and she doesn't really know what that is or what that entails uh, later on kind of Mali reveals a little bit more about what he knows about kind of the expectations upon him um and a lot of this volume is just kind of their journey you know they they meet various bandits they come across this kind of uh, this this organization who are, are basically just kind of growing vegetables and just trying to be self-sufficient and they seem kind of nice enough um but they, they carry on moving through this world whilst we occasionally kind of skip back to these these other kids who are within these walls um and there is kind of you know seeds are beginning to be sown of of a, a desire to to get out and to see actually what is going on beyond the the four walls that they're kind of effectively trapped in um and i really really like it like the the main thing I think that makes this series work for me is it has a really fantastic kind of atmosphere to it. Like there's, there's something about both kind of the, the internal kind of group of, of kids who are, are basically, you know, just kind of being looked after for whatever reason. And then also the, just these, these two characters roving through this wasteland that just has a real kind of good vibe to it like there is something about it that just makes it really compelling and you just want to see kind of more and more of it which i think is helped by the fact that this is very much a series that it 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 always shows things and rarely tells like there is virtually no actual kind of exposition within this series there are one or two kind of minor little 
Little kind of things that characters say that maybe feel a little bit outside of normal conversation to clue you in on one or two things. But for the most part, everything that you learn, you kind of learn organically just by watching what the characters are doing, why they're doing them, etc., etc. Yeah, it's and it's that- blissfully free of the, as you know, I am your brother school of exposition. Yeah, yeah. Like everything that comes about just comes about as part of a conversation or something that's going on. And, you know, even like there's, there's a weapon within this, this volume that, uh, that Kiliko has, has kind of happened upon and basically come into possession of. And like the properties of that kind of are revealed bit by bit over the volume in really pleasing ways because, you know, you're never told like, Oh yeah, this is my, you know, insert gun name here. Let me explain how it works. It's just like, the process of her using it and owning it tells you everything you need to know about the weapon and its limitations and what it is good at and what it is not good at and all of and, and that is kind of a really good sort of uh, that that is a really good kind of point for everything that this volume does because that is pretty much every part of this world is built up in that way and it's incredibly enjoyable to to watch that happen um and i guess kind of uh, I, I feel like this series takes some of the best parts of a bunch of other series that I like in a way. Like there are parts of it that remind me of, of the manga in particular from the new world. Like there are, again, there is this feeling where you've got this group of kids who have clearly had a lot kept from them about what is going on in the wider world. And they, you know, slowly get a desire to do that. There's also an interesting kind of sexual element to that as well like all these teenagers are clearly kind of going through puberty and kind of getting interested in the opposite sex and there are some just kind of almost throwaway little moments that just totally make sense within this kind of group of characters that are all very insular of just kind of like testing the boundaries of their their kind of sexuality etc etc that again also kind of reminds me of a a slightly more low-key version of the from the new world manga um (laughs) not as as drenched in yuri out of nowhere i guess yeah 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 not not quite as much um uh, there's also obviously a, a little bit of a kind of early promised neverland feel of just like hey there's this you know there are these walls around us we're told that it's for our own good and you know it's it's told by the director of of this kind of organization that is keeping these kids that like it's it's hell outside you know th- th- there is nothing but kind of beasts out there you don't want to even think about kind of leaving where you're at right now and so you know again there's 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 that kind of feeling as well and then in terms of just kind of wandering through this wasteland there's kind of a little bit more of a sort of a more peril filled kind of girl's last tour feel to it where it's just kind of enjoyable just watching Malu and Kiliko just kind of going through this world where it's really interesting because it's not just your typical kind of I guess quote unquote lazy apocalyptic wasteland where it's just like no everything's broken everyone's just fending for themselves like there are people still here running businesses or kind of you know running communes and trying to kind of reorganize and to kind of bring about some semblance of order in this absolute chaos you know sometimes with uh, other ends in mind perhaps than than is initially kind of initially show their face but like there's there's a feeling that it feels very real and lived in that it's not just a case of like oh well everything's screwed so we're all just gonna like pick up weapons and shoot at each other like there are there are very clear efforts from individuals or small groups to kind of convene and try and bring a semblance of order at least to their own little bit of the world even if the rest of the world is still in chaos and and all of that stuff kind of melds together in a really interesting way yeah on that note i think the most interesting part or the most well-paced like a lot of this series I could basically point to and say, that's a really smart way of doing it. I love it. Um, like 
it doesn't have it doesn't feel the need to and in particularly maru and kiriko don't feel the need to like they don't find somewhere and then investigate it fully they don't feel the constant need to unearth the secret truth of where we have found ourselves it's much more realistic where they're on a journey sometimes things happen to them like get bambushed by bandits there's some really nice comedy elements that are very reminiscent of while the town turns which you know it pitches perfectly you know the characters there's no outright sort of like smush us twelly villains there's no pure people in it and they're all very fascinating and interesting characters especially the bandits um but there's no need for the characters to like unearth the secret truth of everywhere they go. They come along, like they meet some bandits. They like, they nearly get killed. They go through that. They meet a commune. There's hints and discussion about how it might not be on the up and up and there might be something weird going on here, but then they leave. There's no need to like, like Bioware RPG every last place they go. I mean, where this um towards the end of this volume you have a rather scary sort of element with this place like with like an inn they're staying in but equally it's all very sort of carefully placed and pitched to make sense in the scope of the world and make sense for the characters and it all kind of like it's all there for a reason and it's not there to over explain everything to you or and never feels the need to constantly sort of just bash you over the head with it which is as you mentioned like one of the joys of this world and these characters is the way that they nestle within the exposition and you know you have the um, kids on the inside who feel like professor xavier's school for gifted children crossed with logan's run or something um and you know they know they have it good and you know we know as the audience that they have it good because they're on the inside but also there's other stuff going on there is forces outside their little pen there's the kids themselves as mentioned they're kind of going through a lot of weird puberty but living a very sterile life so you know two of them blow up at each other over the possession of a drawing because they don't quite know how to like you know vocalize what they're going through or even why they're there and there's a lot of you know characters who are kind of have different motives but no one it's not quite i mean you mentioned promise neverland but it doesn't quite have the single like laser pointed focus that promise neverland did of oh we gotta get out of here whereas this is a lot more a case of well god knows what's going on here which makes it a lot more fascinating because like i mean i love town i love why the town turns but you know this manga is a lot more interesting and serious from the get-go because like even in the first chapter you're like damn there's like four times the cast in this series (laughs) but they all feel different and they all feel fleshed out and it doesn't again it doesn't feel the need to just dump a bunch of character traits on you and make you dig through them it it rolls it out very carefully and it has some really fascinating stuff at like the end of the, the end of the volume ends on a really interesting character discussion which you know um i'm really interested to see how it pulls it off i really hope that ishiguro like pulls it off well because if that is handled badly that would really suck um given um kiriko um but yeah it's a really fascinating um story and as you mentioned it has bits from loads of other series but also just knows how to pitch itself with as mentioned the comedy and the sort of the the weird wry humor of living in in an empty world because you mentioned like chaos and i would maybe push back on that and say there it's mostly just that there isn't anything like there isn't like a government agency running around cleaning it up there's just nothing like stuff just fell apart like people aren't there yeah. anymore yeah and there, there, there's a really fantastic fascinating kind of stripe that that runs through that side as well where I mean, again, kind of Malay and Kiliko meeting those bandits. And there's clear reference to, again, a a great little bit of world building where there's a reference to like, oh, 
these kids are clearly just like being brought up in this apocalypse. Like they, they didn't just fall into it like we did. It's kind of like a sort of boomers v millennials kind of thing in the apocalypse. Um, which A is just a great bit of world building because it just tells you like, okay, this is not a thing that happened like a year ago. This is a thing that has been a, been a problem for a while. But it also, there's this really interesting kind of, you know, social politics of just like oh there is a generation of kids within this world that have only ever known this wasteland and are kind of hardened to it in a way that the older generation who you know were used to kind of you know the the luxuries of of a normal you know capitalist lifestyle who are now having to scavenge like they they have a very different perspective on things and again it's just like it's a throwaway kind of panel really but it's it is just so interesting in its in itself just that little point that kind of you know brings so much life to that world and kind of makes you think about a whole lot of what is going on within it yeah it's it's a really weird really interesting bit of generational warfare like several times during this characters will view um kiriko and uh maru and will say oh you grew up post collapse oh oh i bet your morals are all fucked up and they're like why are you saying this to us like this is rude um which is really fascinating honestly because you can see that like when they come to the um the um Oh, what's its word? The commune. When they come to the commune, the commune people are like, oh, we found ourselves free. And so we decided to make something. And there's something off about that lot. But as I say, I was really glad when they just moved past it. They didn't feel the need to dig into it. Um, which yeah, is, because I was waiting for the like annoying garbage post apocalyptic storyline of they're cannibals. Dun, dun, dun. Because that's in every yeah. fucking story and I hate it. It's boring. Yeah. Yeah. It, you would, I was fully expecting like, oh, there's going to be like a volume of this where, you know, they're all nice, nice. And then, you know, suddenly they're, they're getting, you know, st- st- you know, stuck in a basement or something and they've got to find their way out. They've got to escape from these crazy people and it's like no it's just like they're just a commune yeah there's definitely something a bit off and weird there but also they seem nice enough and you know we just need to move on and do our thing and yeah that's kind of enjoyably refreshing that it doesn't feel like it needs to to you know micromanage every little bit of this world that gets encountered well it knows not to make it more boring which is the danger with this stuff is you know over explaining stuff can make it boring you don't need to explain everything and yeah yeah, and the characters there's a great like as i say i'm I'm really love the characters because there's a huge breadth of them and they're fascinating like both maru and kiriko's deal are really fascinating um just as a pair because we mostly focus on them and their travails like it's a really fascinating thing and you know these two storylines will collide at some point but god knows um but yeah, yeah it's really fascinating it's it's a really lovely read um so yeah and, and to, to extend that, I, I also just really enjoy the interactions between the characters, like particularly those who are kind of you know who are who are part of Professor Xavier's uh, <laughs> compound, um, because like so many series tend to give you like a group of like say like half a dozen characters and just pair them up like two and two and two and just like okay there you go that's that's it and maybe maybe have like a love triangle somewhere here and there but. There's a real kind of nice complexity to the way all of those characters interact with each other. Like they all, as you would when you were all kind of under this, in this very kind of relatively enclosed space, like they all have relationships with one another. Like it's not a kind of, it's not cliquey. There are not small groups kind of, they, they all have their own kind of, you know, 
their own deals with each other and again that just makes everything feel very kind of real and fleshed out because it's just it just feels very natural that all of these characters are interacting with each other and they all kind of have slightly different ways of talking to to each other depending on who they're talking to at any given moment in time and all of that stuff just feels very kind of rich yeah one thing you mentioned that again i'm just like a dum-dum here but when you mentioned that they all had different powers, I hadn't, I mean, I knew, I'd, I'd known that they were all strange or interesting characters, but I didn't directly ascribe the fact that they have different abilities, which they kind of do. Like the one who's constantly drawing clearly is able to, like, cause they talk to him saying, Oh, draw us another picture of what you see in your head. And he clearly has some kind of weird power going on there, but they never, they do the, as I mentioned, they don't overburden it. They don't say you're all special children. You all have powers. Your power is this. Your power is this. It's more just like a bunch of kids in Logan's run at Professor Xavier school. And it doesn't, ever feel the need to tell you that whereas yeah. us talking about it now i'm like oh yeah they all have a weird little thing going on wow like, yeah well it's, it's like even the first time that gets introduced with like a kid that just like you know bounds ridiculously high it's that there was kind of that moment of like oh is this just um, um is this just manga being manga or is this actually like you know a thing and then clearly as time goes on you start to realize like oh no okay all of these kids like you know have something above and beyond normal kind of you know human ability and uh you know it doesn't feel the need to, again like this in any other series probably would be a long kind of exposition dump of like well as you know these children that we are looking after you know are all etc 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 and would feel the need to kind of hammer that that home to you but it doesn't it just lets you figure that out for yourself and once you see kind of you know more and more characters just doing a thing that is slightly outside of the norm of kind of human bounds you're like oh okay that's i guess that's their thing and yeah it's just really it's really pleasing and it kind of it it makes you feel smart in a weird kind of way because you're not being talked to and talked at like you're just you're just an observer of this and you're being allowed to kind of like let the story build in your own mind rather than you having it all kind of spooled out to you. Well, it makes it a lot, a lot more exciting and interesting just as a reader because instead of it being like, here are 10 characters and here are their powers, it's more a case of, I'm sat there reading it thinking, man, what the hell happens next? Like these characters are all fascinating, but I don't know what their deal is and I don't quite know what their scope is. Whereas if you're just told all their powers, you're the, you then spend God knows how long just like, f- planning it out and future and coming up with the idea like you you know you start to pre-game it almost and so having it be a mystery is much more interesting unsurprisingly yeah yeah absolutely and i I think that the final thought that i'll come back to is yeah just reiterating your your point about the comedy that that i didn't mention because yeah like it's it has a really good vein of uh, you know some of it is just plain slapstick there's a lot of like you say really good kind of gallows humor and 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 one-liners and quips but like they're always well placed they're always in in just the right place and in just the right moments to kind of you know either alleviate a, a bit of tension or accentuate something that's happening like it, it never feels out of place or forced because again, like having read bits or one seen the anime and yet the town moves, like I thought, oh, like, eh, maybe it's just going to shoehorn a bunch of like dumb jokes into places where it doesn't belong. But it's very measured at knowing when to do a bit of comedy and when to 
keep a straight face and it, it does such a good job of that that it's you know it's really commendable on that front as well yeah it, it reminded me of and the town moves because the bandits remind me of the like idiot other um store owners in the shopping arcade um <laughs> like they almost seem to they seem like they have the same idiot goonery amongst each other even when they've got someone pointing a gun at them um so that was that was really good fun um but yeah it, it knows when to cut the cut the tension and it knows when to keep the tension going like as i say at the end of volume sort of reveal um pseudo reveal is really fascinating it's like oh okay blimey this is this is playing with very intense fire so let's see what happens um yeah yeah there, there is so much i mean again as i'm as i mentioned kind of up top like I, I i'm jonesing to get my hands on volume two because there is so much stuff set up here that i want to i want to see uh, above and beyond just the general kind of like i want to see more of of this world and, and kind of you know fill in some more of the gaps but i i really want to see kind of you know what is going on with these characters like you know at what point are they uh, are these two kind of currently disparate stories going to intersect sect and there, there is there is a lot for me to be excited about in terms of reading more of this so I'm, I'm really hoping we get more of it sooner rather than later yeah especially given that like for an entire half of this these set of characters like the characters in the professor xavier school like we don't actually know what they really want or they don't really have anything like any inciting incident yet so I have no idea what's going to happen with them or if anything's going to happen to them or they're going to cause something like it's fascinating I can't wait um, again yeah. which makes waiting for it a pain in the bum <laughs> did you read this digitally or physically by the way I read this digitally, so yeah, I picked this up on, on Kobo. Yeah, same. One thing that's... This is me kind of nitpicking, but I noticed that in Kobo, at least on my app, it listed the author as Masakazu um, Chavez Ishiguro. It, it, <laughs> yeah. shoved, it shoved Ed Chavez's name in the middle, which might make searching for it a bit weird. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I wasn't sure if, if there's some some kind of, like, you know, marriage of convenience that we need to know about going on there or, or, or what it is. I'm, ju- I'm just going to ascribe that to some weird data entry error. But but who knows? Let, let the conspiracy theories begin here. Having having talked to people who have had to work with e ebook store backends, I'm willing to bet it's more just a metadata is awkward at times problem yeah for sure yeah i've seen that before so but yeah i i really love this series it's i would again uh, not to be too much of a baby about it again and i feel like i say this every week at this point but i was really scared because i love and the town moves so much like it's one of my favorite things and i was like oh i really hope this isn't the case where the author then eats shit on their follow-up series even if it's not the same thing um but no it's great i love it um good shit Awesome. We, we, we picked some good ones this time. Oh, God. You're, you're saying that as a lead into the next section, aren't you? Um, <laughs> so, what we're talking about next episode. Um, this is where I also complain and say that Andy kind of stole my suggestion, but I was hoping to do it later and also when the heat was off. So, whatever. <laughs> so, I've picked the first volume of Chio School Road, um, which um, I've read before, actually. I actually have a, digi- a copy of the da- Japanese edition somewhere in this flat, um, which I don't know why I bought the damn thing. I can't read it. But this is now coming out legally and had an anime and all. So, we'll get to read that. And, Andy, how about you? Yes, yeah, so be- because I-, I welcome the heat. Um, and, 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 and- 
in, in the frame of, of true journalistic endeavor, there's, there's been a lot of controversy in, in the week of recording this around uh, the, the anime adaptation of Interspecies Reviewers, which has been uh, been cancelled from Funimation streaming service. It's been cancelled on a Japanese TV channel for, for being too lewd, basically. Um, and so I, I figured, you know, for, for, for our own journalistic integrity, we should investigate the source material. And thus, I have chosen volume one of Interspecies Reviewers. I'm so sorry, everybody. So as a shameful admission, I've already read the first volume of this and was planning to jump it on you at some point but now i don't feel guilty whatsoever so screw you andy you why are you doing this yeah. to me yeah I'm, I'm just doing it to myself at this point but i mean in fairness like from from what i've have read around this series like i've also read a lot of interesting discourse around it that has kind of made me curious to to see exactly you know where it where it sits on the the spectrum of such things as well so i am actually genuinely interested in it as well as the uh, uh, as the kind of journalistic prurience of it all no yeah i i would say that there's a lot to talk about in this series and it's interesting and i'm if nothing else i am glad it exists and it's getting its time to shine and also frankly although i have not watched watching the anime the anime goes way beyond the manga um which is apparently part of the reason why it kind of got pulled um on the as a quick update and amusing note uh, the when it was and now it's been pulled off of japanese television or at least on one tv channel it got replaced with an oceanside cruise which is i think almost the same um stopgap programming that happened with school days when it got delayed a week so yeah I'd, I'd like to think that's a very deliberate kind of in-joke on their part, but, uh, but who knows? I think it's just the first thing they've got that's like the single most inoffensive midnight programming is, f- fuck it, show them the nice boat. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah, God. Talk about talk about piece of internet history I was there to see was the original nice boat post. <laughs> yeah, everything comes around again eventually, I guess. Time is a flat circle. Um, so, thank you very much for listening. This, ooh, we kind of went a bit long, but I think this is a good one. So, thank you very much for listening. You can find this and all the other podcasts at our website, screentone.club. If you like this podcast, please consider telling a friend. Word of voice, word of mouth is still the best way for podcasts to spread and get new listeners. As mentioned at the top, we have a Patreon. Please, if you enjoyed this, consider putting in a dollar or three. Um, if you choose the three dollar tier, you get to vote on what we cover in the bonus episodes, which by the time this comes out, we will have selected our next um, title we're going to look for in our monthly bonus. I'll let you know on the internet once we pick that next week. Um, next week from the time of... Rev- oh, God, time's hard. Um, <laughs> anyway, you'll know by the time this comes out. You can also find us on Twitter at Screentone Club. Um, you can also find, send us an email at show at screentone.club. My name is Elliot Page, and you can find me at um, Elliot Page on Twitter, talking about politics again. Someone stop me. And my lovely co-host, Mr. Andy Hanley. Where can people find you, Andy? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Hannah's1979. And who, who knows what I'll be talking about? Probably not the Interspecies Reviewers anime, though. So you're safe on that. No, front. I must admit, another, a, a, um, a Discord channel I follow removed their Interspecies Reviewers, um, like channel because it was no longer being, um, shown. And the people who were in there were really bummed because they were really <laughs> jonesing for that series. Uh, I probably shouldn't call them out on here. I'll delete this. Um, but no, thank you very much for listening and good night. Bye, everyone. Bye.